Bibles are open tonight. Uh, please mark uh, Matthew chapter 16 and uh, turn, if you would, to John chapter 12. We'll come back to Matthew 16 here in a moment. While you're doing that, I'm going to go ahead and hook up the cordless mic. I forgot to do this this morning, but I might be moving around a little bit more tonight. So... Uh, Are you in Luke chapter 12? Is that where I sent you? John chapter 12. That'll be a good place too. It's all good. It's all Bible. <clears throat> and let me get there and then uh, I'll join you on that. John chapter 12. The Savior made a statement here. And if you'd look please to verse number 32. The Savior said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. When the Savior made that statement, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, he wasn't talking about if, if we all talk about Jesus or if we promote Jesus or if we exalt Jesus, though we ought to do those things, and those things are uh, commanded elsewhere in the scripture, that is not what he was talking about. Verse 33 clarifies that very well for us. This he said signifying what death he should die. The lifting up of Christ does not refer to his exaltation. It refers to his crucifixion. It refers to the cross. He said if I'm lifted up, if I'm placed on that cross, I will draw all men unto me. We want to consider the cross just for a little while tonight. We're going to go back to Matthew 16 and a few other scriptures and, and make a very important application of this truth. But let's just consider the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ for just a few moments. If I be lifted up, he said, I will draw all men unto me the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ was a place of selflessness a place of selflessness. In John chapter four and verse 34, when Jesus had finished talking to the woman at the well and she'd gone back in the city telling the people there, come see a man who told me all things ever I did, his disciples came out and, and saw him and uh, they, they uh, had gotten some lunch, some food for him. And the Bible says, Jesus saith unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. The work that he was sent to do was the cross. He came to die on that cross. He said, that is my meat, is to do the will of him that sent me, his heavenly father. Jesus was saying from a human standpoint, I'm not here to do what I want to do. I'm not here to do my thing. I am here to do the will of the one who sent me. In John chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus said, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. It is a, rep a repeated theme of the Savior. I'm not here to do what I want. Uh, I'm here to do the will of my Father. We are familiar with his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, verse 39. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. The cross was a place of setting himself aside to do the will of the heavenly father. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter number two. Philippians chapter number two. The Bible says in verse number five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What was his mindset? His mindset was, I am not here to do my will. I am here to do the will of my heavenly father. In Sunday school, Brother Tim talked about this very issue. The will of the father is given to us in the word of the father. Uh, you're, you, God's will is never going to circumvent the word of God. The Bible says you and I are to have the same mind that Christ had, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery 
to be equal with God. If I today were to say that I am equal with God, I would be committing the sin of blasphemy. In the Jewish culture, they had the, they, they had the legal right under the law of Moses to stone a person to death who claimed equality with God. But the Bible says Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. It wasn't a sin. It was not a crime. He was not stealing from God's honor because he was equal with God. That is called the deity of Christ. The Bible says, but he made himself of no reputation. That's what selflessness is. When I don't matter anymore. When what I think, what I want does not matter anymore. The only thing that matters is what does God think? What does God say? What does God want? The Savior made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a what? A servant. A servant doesn't decide his schedule. Servant doesn't decide his duties. That is determined for him by a master. The Savior set aside his rightful place as deity and made himself a servant. The Bible said and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. Isn't it amazing you and I have a hard time humbling ourselves? Because sometimes it, it just, I think it's just our corrupt human nature. We think more of ourselves than we ought to. We have a hard time setting ourselves aside. And yet here is the creator of the universe humbling himself, making himself of no reputation whatsoever. And the Bible says, and became obedient unto death, even the death of what? Of the cross. That cross was all important. Jesus could not die by stoning and be our savior. He could not die by drowning and be our savior. He had to die on the cross. The prophecies in, for example, the book of Psalms chapter 22 uh, talks about um, uh, the, 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 the piercing of his side and all of his bones out of joint uh, and, and thirst and all of the other things that, uh, that were part of crucifixion. The book of Zechariah, I believe it is, talks about they pierced my hands and my feet. So many prophecies that pointed to the cross that if Christ had died any other way, he would not have fulfilled those and we would have been lost. It had to be the cross but you understand Jesus went to the cross because he was willing to set himself aside make himself of no reputation take upon him the form of a servant and in doing such became obedient all the way to death even the death of the cross the cross of Christ was a place of selflessness it goes without saying the cross was a place of sacrifice uh, it was a place of sacrifice. In John chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I laid down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. He said, my father loves me because I'm laying my life down and he's doing so willingly. If you read any of the historical documents and descriptions of a crucifixion, the victim of the, the crucifixion oftentimes resisted the act of being nailed to the cross because once they were nailed to that wood, there was no escaping it. It is said that even, even a smaller built man like myself might sometimes take three or four Roman soldiers to hold him in place while they, they put the nails in the hands and the feet and secured him to the wood because they fought with, with almost superhuman strength to resist that. We would have done the same thing. It is not something we would choose. Jesus said, I lay down my life. 
He was unlike any other prisoner going to the cross in that he was not fighting against the Roman soldiers, if you will. I think he was, he was almost leading them to the cross itself. We know he was already beaten. He was already in a weakened state. But our Savior wasn't forced onto the cross. He did so willingly. He was a willing sacrifice paying for our sins. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what the cross was. It was a place of sacrifice. Number three, the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ was the place of suffering. If you'll turn with me to 1 Peter chapter number two. 1 Peter chapter number two. In verse 21, Peter says, for even hereunto were ye called. Peter is writing to the persecuted Christians. They're the ones scattered abroad, according to 1 Peter chapter 1. These are the ones that after the death of Stephen are scattered all over the region. They are enduring persecution and hardship uh, for their faith. And that's what he's referring to. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. Guile is deceit or hypocrisy. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. The Bible says, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Christ gave us that example of suffering. Um, he did no wrong, yet he suffered as a wrongdoer. So how much more should we be willing to suffer whatever it is that God would have laid upon us? The cross was a place of suffering. But with all those things said, which are negative things, that, that idea of selflessness, laying aside our will, humbling ourselves, that place of, uh, of sacrifice, that place of suffering, we all understand the cross was the place of salvation. Go back to John chapter 12. Without the cross, we would be lost. It is because of the cross and the shed blood of Christ on that place that you and I find salvation. Again, Jesus said in verse 32, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, he is talking about the cross, will draw all men unto me. Hallelujah for the cross. We ought to thank God that he was willing to do that. That is why periodically in our church, uh, about once a quarter, we, we stop everything and we take an entire service and we focus on the shed blood and the broken body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is, the, that is the memorial of the Lord's Supper to remember the price that was paid so that we could be saved. I submit to you tonight, if Jesus Christ had not taken up his cross and followed the will of his heavenly father, we would be lost. Am I right? That is Bible. Now, go back to our text in Matthew 16. And Brother Carson, if you would bring that out for me, please. In this text, it's where Peter sticks his foot in his mouth again. Peter, by the way, his motives were fine. He he, he loved the Lord. He wasn't yielded to the Lord, though. That seems almost like a contradiction of terms, but sometimes we think that our ideas and our emotions supersede the will of God, and they never do. It's never about our feelings. It's always about our faith that is based on the word of God. In verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, be raised again the third day. He's, he's, he's telling them all about the cross. He's letting them know what's going to happen. Um, the Bible says, then Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Peter's telling God off. Peter's arguing with God. Don't say that you've never done it. 
We've all, we've all wondered sometimes, Lord, what are you doing? Why are you allowing that? Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Peter did not see any reason for the cross. He didn't understand that without the cross, we're lost. And he's, he's rebuked him, said, there's no way this is going to be. They believed that he was the Messiah. Peter had given that statement earlier in this very same chapter. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah, the anointed one. In the Jewish mind, the Messiah came to rule and to reign forever. They had missed in their own scriptures that the Messiah would first come to die. He would come back to reign the second time. So Peter's rebuking him in verse 23, but he, Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, what? Satan. Peter's a saved man, but Jesus is saying, right now you resemble Satan more than you resemble a saved man. Why? He said, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You're more concerned about what pleases yourself, that, that fits in with your way of thinking. You're, you're not really longing for and, and yielded to the will of God, uh, but of men. And he said, and that's a satanic thing. That's a wicked thing. And then he turned to the rest of his disciples and look at verse 24. This is our text tonight. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his what? His cross and follow me. Let him deny himself. There's that selflessness, humbling ourself, becoming obedient, becoming the servant to the will of our heavenly father. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Keep your place here. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Verse 34, it is the same situation, Mark chapter 8 and verse 34, I'm in 934 and I thought that doesn't look right. When he had called the people unto him with his disciples, now it's, we find out it's not just the 12, including Judas, there are other people there. He said, uh, uh, he said unto them, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. A lot of people want to say that they're a follower of Christ as long as they can do their own thing. It, it, as, as long as they can look the way they want to look and live the way that they want to do, they, they want to claim that Jesus said, if you're, going to, if you're going to come after me, you have to deny yourself, you have to take up your cross and follow me. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. Luke adds a single word to this passage. It's not a contradiction in the Bible. Remember, we're only reading in any conversation in the Bible a portion of that which God wanted us to know from that. There are always more to it than that. So Luke adds and gives us a little bit more. Luke chapter 9 and verse number 23. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What word was added to this verse that was not in Matthew or Mark? The word daily. Again, if any man, that's if any one of us, if we're going to come after Christ, we're going to follow him, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I want you to understand the cross of which the Lord speaks here is a very personal one. His cross. Every one of those three texts uses the word, let him take up his cross. So there is a cross for Carson Vara. If Carson is going to follow Christ, come after Christ, Carson has to take up his cross. His cross and my cross are two different things. I have to take up mine and Carson has to take up his. By the way, this isn't just for preachers. Uh, if it was only for the disciples, the, uh, you know, Peter, James, John, Thomas, and so forth, we might uh, mistakenly claim, well, he's only talking about those going into full-time ministry. But we read in the Gospel of Mark, and to all 
the people. He's talking about the housewives. Uh, he's, he's talking about the children. He's talking about the teenagers. It is a personal thing. In other words, you need to understand tonight that you have a cross. Would, would you grab a hold of that truth? You have a cross. That cross has been chosen for you by your heavenly father. The Savior, when he went to the cross, he was doing the will of his Father. He voluntarily laid himself down on the cross, but going to that particular cross was the will of his heavenly Father. So the cross for Carson Vara is the will of his Father for him. Now, we brought a cross out here tonight. It used to hang in the Baptist. We were trying to figure out how to do that and still get Brother Rob back there to baptize because there's only about that much space uh, between the baptistry and the back wall. The cross. Take up his cross daily and follow me. If Jesus Christ had not taken up his cross, if he had not followed the will of his Father, you and I would be lost. So question. What happens when we do not take up our cross and follow Christ? What happens? What happens? We all have one. I, I, I've asked some people to help me just a little bit. Uh, I'm going to ask my daughter if she would make her way up here. And she's so excited about this. She has no idea what I'm going to do. I, I, I have a beef with her today. She was going to sing in the choir. And rather than hand my new grandson to me, she gave him to Mrs. Reamers. And Mrs. Reamers was bold-facedly just walking around all over the back. Carrie, he's my grandson, okay? Just go get your own, you know, really. Um, um, Anna grew up in our church. She did not choose to be the pastor's daughter. Uh, when, when Trina and I chose to follow the will of God and I surrendered to preach and Trina felt that God wanted her to be a pastor's wife or a preacher's wife and God put us together, we believed that was the will of God and so forth. Uh, Anna was not even conceived yet. Anna wasn't even in our, our mind yet. Uh, when she was born, she had no choice about any of that. The truth of the matter is when we moved to Wallingford, Connecticut, uh, we discussed it with our kids, but they really had no choice because we knew this is where God would have us to be. And they came, whether they were reluctant about that or not, and I think they were, and understandably so. Uh, but Anna did not choose that life. But there came a point in her life that she was going to have to choose some things. Anna was going to have to choose whether she was going to be saved or not. She's not going to heaven because she's the pastor's daughter. She's not going to heaven because she uh, lived a moral, clean life. She's not going to go to heaven because she was in the nursery, you know, two, two weeks after birth and from then on. She's not going to go to heaven because she's always been in a Baptist church or because she was homeschooled or because she went to a Christian school. There had to come a time in her life where she chose to receive Jesus Christ as her personal Savior, just like anybody else who's going to go to heaven has to make that same choice. We okay? We on, on the same page there. But there's something else that Anna had to choose. Anna had to realize that God had a cross for her. I know the text we read said, let him take up his cross and follow me. It's, it's a generic thing. Uh, it was said to all the people, undoubtedly ladies, so it would be let her deny herself and take up her cross and follow me. Now, she didn't get to choose the preacher's home. She did not get to choose um, the, the Baptist church or anything else. But there came a time in her life where she had to choose a few things. When Anna was a junior in high school, I got sick. She was brought down by Mark and Candy Seely to Chesapeake, uh, Virginia, to a hospital there because, and she knew when she walked in that the doctors had said that I was not going to survive. She did not choose that. 
Girls who were juniors in high school were looking forward to their high school graduation and their daddy sitting out there being very proud. They're looking forward to walking down the aisle on their wedding day on daddy's arm. And, and the father saying, uh, her mother and I do when the preacher says, who gives this bride away? That, that's what 16-year-old girls are looking forward to. They're looking forward to, uh, you know, calling and saying, hey, we're, we're going to have a baby or, hey, the, 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 the baby's come or, hey, I've given the baby to Mrs. Reamers instead of you and, 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 and all of those kinds of things. That's what a 16-year-old girl looks for, but she's got the news her dad is not going to survive. She didn't choose that. She didn't pick that. Nobody would. And, and obviously God had a different plan. And I didn't pass away, in case you're surprised about that, was wondering how it turned out. But, but she lived the next year, the next two years, with me and my health issues. Tim and Sarah lived them, but they lived them five or, I'm sorry, 800 miles away at Grace Baptist College. They lived them from a distance. And they were in communication with us and they were calling and, and all of that, but she was there every single day, every day. She was there as her mom had to clean out the wound on the bottom of my foot. And Trina would give me pain medicine about an hour before the procedure. We'd go into the bedroom. We'd close the bedroom door. I would put a pillow over my face as Trina pulled out the packing material from a deep wound about that big around. And I would scream into that pillow in pain. And even though we tried to hide it, we couldn't. She had to hear that every single day for weeks and weeks at a time. No 16-year-old girl wants to hear that. She did not choose that. God chose that for her. Sometimes when God chooses a cross for us, remember, a cross is a place of selflessness. It is a place of sacrifice. It is often a place of suffering. That's when we say, I don't want that cross. In her heart, at that very moment, she could have walked away from God and said, I've watched my mom and dad serve God. I've watched my mom and dad sacrifice. I watched them leave a beautiful brand new home and go and start a church. Uh, and, and, and I watched them go through all of that. I watched them leave that and come to Connecticut. And I've watched them be faithful. And I've watched them pray. And, and, and I've watched them give of themselves. And now God's letting this happen to my mom and dad. She could have hardened her heart. But at some point, this girl had to go walk over there. And take up her cross, strong like a Russian bull. She had to take up her cross and say, this is what God's chosen for me. And I'm going to follow Christ. She asked her mom, I hope it's okay to tell you that, to, to tell this, I'm going to do it anyhow. You live in my house, so get over it. She asked her mom during especially the first year, why are all of my friends not going through what I'm going through? Why do I have to go through this as a junior in high school? She wasn't being rebellious. She wasn't being defiant. She was trying to understand why this cross. Her mother's answer was so wise. Trina said, because God has a plan for your life. God is using this to enable you to be a blessing to somebody further down the road. But there's more to her cross than the fact that her father was sick. I'm going to be careful about how I say this, but I'm going to say it anyhow. When Anna was in the youth group, we had a phenomenon, it raises its ugly head every now and then. We had a mean girl situation in the youth group. We had a mean girl, we had a, we had a group of young ladies that thought it was cool to be defiant. While she's going through all this at home, 
She had this group and she went to school with them and she went to youth group with them that made fun of her because she was straight. They made fun of her because she didn't watch the R-rated movies. They made fun of her because she was involved in the teen program, the reading of the books and the memorizing of the verses. And, and she was there and she was, she was involved and, and, and she was obeying the rules at school. She wasn't in the restroom telling the off color or the dirty jokes. Uh, they didn't invite her to their parties and she knew they were having parties and getting together and she was excluded. And she was excluded because they knew that she wouldn't watch the movies they were going to watch there or, or tell the jokes that they were going to tell there. And they shunned her and left her out. But it was more than just ignoring. It was making fun of her for being right. And can I just say this? Uh, it, it's a wrong thing in an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, soul-winning Baptist church when good kids that love God, that are memorizing the Bible, that are living straight, that are, sh that are shunning the evil, are the ones being made fun of. That's wrong. And, but there, it, every youth group goes through it. Every, every youth group has it, and it's not just always girls, it's guys too that do it. There'll always be this group that they think that they're so cool that they're above the rules. And they're so cool that they don't, it's just too, they're too cool to memorize a Bible verse. They're too cool to come hit the altar. They're too, they're not cool at all. They are ice cold. They have got cold hearts. And I'm just going to tell you this, it's going to be a cold day where the booger man lives before I'm going to allow the cool kids like that to be exalted and godly kids to be made fun of without me preaching about it. And I'm not just that she's not in the youth group anymore, so it's not my daughter going through it anymore, but it, it's wrong in any generation. It's wrong. And you can glare at me, you can, you can grit your teeth at me, uh, you can do sign language at me, I've had it all done. I'm, I, I'm not afraid of your dirty looks. You see this? That's called controlled fear. It's wrong. But here's a teenager who, who finds out that her dad might die, then she finds out he's got cancer. Then she finds out he's going to lose his foot and he finally loses it. She's living through all that nightmare in her home. And, and, and even though we tried to hide some of it from her, she, could, she saw it every day. And she came to the one place of refuge to get made fun of. You know how easy it would have been for her to walk away from? By the way, your son was her lifeline. Thank God there are... Thank God there were some godly kids in the youth group that weren't going to fall prey to the cool kids. But somewhere along the line, Miss Anna had to realize God had a cross for her. And that cross meant some suffering as she watched her dad go through all those things as a 16-year-old. She had to do it without a lot of close friends. She had to do it being made fun of for being a good kid, for loving God. She could have said, fooey on this. If that's what church is, I'm done with it. I didn't, I didn't choose this. No, she didn't, but God chose it for her. God chose her family. God chose that her daddy would get sick. God didn't make the mean girls be mean, but God allowed her to endure that as a teenager. Just like there was a day in Miss Anna's life that she had to choose Christ as her savior, there came a day when God said, Anna, that's your cross. And Anna had to take up that cross and follow Christ. By the way, had she not done that, there would be no Miss Anna today. Do you understand that? Our teenage young ladies would not have her shoulder to cry on. They would not have her to open a Bible and show them how to walk with God. 
And some of our teenagers go through some of the same things she went through. She knows exactly how they feel and she can help them. But unless she had taken up her cross and followed Christ, there'd, there'd be no Miss Anna today. How, how many understand that? Thank you, ma'am. I'm going to put you back to work. Brother Rob, it's family night. I have to be up here. They have to be up here. How many notice Brother Rob doesn't have a suit coat on? We're going to make him turn in his Baptist credentials. I forgot mine once, too. I was nine, but that's okay. <laughs> Rob was born and raised in a Christian home, raised in an outstanding church. Outstanding church. When Trina and I realized that Rob and Anna were starting to get sweet on each other, and they were texting back and forth a lot, I thought I'd better find out more about him other than just, he's really tall. So I called, I called their Robbie's home church, and the secretary answered the phone, and I introduced myself. My name's Pastor Tom Bish, and I'm from Connecticut, and my daughter Anna uh, is uh, starting to sort of get into a relationship with a young man from your church. She said, who's that? I said, Rob Chalor. She said, oh, Robbie. Robbie. It was so cute. And she just went on and on about Robbie. Pastor Noonan got on the phone, and I, I, I told him while I was calling, I said, I just, I, I said uh, we just need to know who this young man is. And Pastor Noonan went over his pedigree. Not a perfect young man, but never there, was there a time, according to Pastor Noonan, where this young man joined the cool club. Never one time. He got saved. I think you made assurance of salvation when you got in Bible college and made certain about it. But uh, he, he was the one singing. He was the one going soul winning. He was the one doing what he should do. Uh, his teachers never had an issue with him. Pastor Noonan had nothing but the highest praise for this young man as a teenager growing up in church. Growing up in church. He and Anna were a good fit in that. But you see, when he was growing up, not only did he have to choose Christ as Savior, he had to come to the understanding that God had a cross for him. God had a plan, a will for his life. Before he understood what that was, Rob had a will for his life. Rob wanted to be an architect. He's got the mind for it. He's got a mind of precision. He is OCD. Actually, it's, it's CDO if you put the letters in the right order so that it's correct. Uh, he's, he's got the mind for it. He is designing uh, the, what, what our basin is going to look like as we turn that into an apartment for myself. Uh, but that's what he wanted to do. And he, I, I think he'd have been good at it. And watching the way he organizes things around here, I know he'd have been good at it. Um, uh, my limited experience with architects says that if that is the career that he pursued, he'd be a wealthy young man right now. They make good money, especially somebody that's good at it, has the diligence and character. That's what he wanted. By the way, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely, there's nothing sinful about that. He could have pursued any type of profession that he wanted, and as long as it wasn't like a bartender or drug dealer or something like that, uh, if that's what God wanted for him, that would be fine, but that's what Rob wanted to do. But at some point, Rob had a, had, had a conversation with the Lord, or the Lord had one with Rob, and Rob began to realize, architect is not part of God's plan for my life. God had a cross for Rob, and if architecture would have been that cross and that plan, Rob would have been glad to lay down his life. That's what he wanted to do. But he found out God had a different plan, and that was the ministry. And God had called him to preach. Now, that's as far away from architecture as you can get. At some point in his life, he had to deny himself. He had to well, there's nothing wrong with being an architect and, 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 and it's not sinful and I can still serve God and be an architect. And yes, that is true. You could be a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, a bus captain. You could be a lot of things, but that's not what God called you to do. He called you 
into full-time ministry. Somewhere along the line, he had to deny himself, set aside architecture, and take up his cross and follow Christ. That meant going off to Bible college. You don't get scholarships and grants and all that to Bible college. I know for a fact that he was, he was pitch, pinching pennies to the point that they bled copper trying to make ends meet and pay the school bill. He traveled uh, two or three summers on a tour group and that, that barely paid tuition for maybe one semester. He still had to come up with money for room and board and then the, the next semester and, and all of that. He could have been spending his summers making lots of money, but that's what God wanted him to do. He had to take up his cross and follow Christ. You understand that if he had not done that, there would be no brother Rob. When Pastor Wilson left here to go to Missouri and take a church and pastor, our teenagers would have been left high and dry. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming God would have raised somebody up, but it wouldn't have been somebody like this. If you follow along, do you understand that powerhouse has grown and grown and grown? Last year was one of the biggest powerhouses ever. He's got the thing organized. He, I think he's got next year's powerhouse planned. He has youth activities planned a year in advance. I'm not even sure what I'm doing tomorrow. There would be no brother Rob at Heritage Baptist in Wallingford. You teenagers would not have him. He's taken our choir to wonderful levels, our music to wonderful levels. None of that would have happened unless he was willing to deny himself and take up his cross and follow Christ. How many are getting the picture? Thank you, Brother Rob. To every person in this room, there is a cross with your name on it. There's a cross with your name on it. I'm not talking about full-time Christian ministry. Not everybody's called to that. I, that's not, remember, it was not just to the disciples. It was to all the people. In, in the local church, God has given gifts to every single one of us and we're supposed to put them to use for the cause of Christ, for the edification of the body of Christ. Amen? That means that somewhere along the line, you're going to have to find out what God's cross is for you and you're going to have to take it up and follow Christ with it. I I'm wondering how many bus kids or potential bus kids are going to die and go to hell because nobody wants to run a bus route. I mean, you got to go knocking on doors on Saturday. You got to get up early on Sunday. You, you, you get home after everybody else has already had lunch and are napping on Sunday afternoon and, and all, all those kind of things. You got to plan a program. And so you won't take up your cross. And because of that, a bunch of bus kids are never going to come to church because nobody wants to run a bus route. Or nobody wants to teach that Sunday school class. Nobody wants to sing in the choir. Nobody, because you have to stay after on Sunday night. My goodness, what a sacrifice. You know, Chili's is still open after choir practice. You'll, you'll still eat. On and on the list could go. I, I, wonder, I wonder who's going to miss out because we don't want to take up our cross and follow Christ. Three times. Three times the Savior said, if a man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And Luke, he said, take up his cross, how often? Daily and follow me. Forgive the illustration. Forgive the illustration. It is where I live. It is what I live. And I can only express what I know. Part of God's cross for me was the loss of a leg. Part of, that's, that's my cross to bear. I didn't choose it, didn't ask for it, didn't want it. Most of the time, still don't know if I do want it. But it is God's cross. I deal with a lot of amputees all over the country, dealing with a lot locally now that COVID restrictions have been lifted in the hospitals and so forth. I mentioned this morning I made such a visit yesterday 
in the last six, seven months, I've probably dealt with a dozen different amputees, many of them above the knee like myself. And how many of them have already shut down? One, one gave up completely, just gave up completely, stopped eating, stopped doing everything, and passed away just like that because he quit. He just quit on life. Rather than seeing this is my cross to bear, my cross to bear. I follow a lot of amputees on Facebook and Instagram. I don't know how to post much on Instagram or whatever. I, I follow some amputees that are doing absolutely incredible things. There's a young man named Ezra Freck. Ezra is 18 years old. Two weeks ago, he set a world record in the high jump. Ezra was born with his left leg, the, the, the lower portion of his left leg, uh, either had no bones in them or the, or the bones were just so tiny and, and fine that they would never grow, they would never uh, be functional. And when he was two or three months old, his parents made the decision to amputate his leg above the knee. He's never known what it is like to have two functioning legs. He was also born with a deformed left hand. When they amputated his left leg, they took his big toe and they put it on the, the bottom of, of, of what is his left arm, and, and his left arm kind of looks like a crab claw. And somehow they, they got the nerves there that he can grasp things to a certain extent uh, with that thing, but it, it's, it's obviously the left arm is a deformity. It's not what we would call a functioning left arm. He's, he's born that way. Could you imagine being a child going to kindergarten and you're missing a leg, he would have been wearing a prosthesis by then, but having a, a, a left arm that is deformed. Can you imagine the teasing and the, the maybe humiliation that he had to put up with and all that? Fortunately, he had a mom and dad that helped him work through all of those things. Um, and uh, he, he decided to become an athlete, and, and I saw the video a number of times from a lot of different angles of him setting a world record in Paris just two weeks ago at the Paralympic World, uh, the World Cup, and uh, an incredible young athlete. And what I see in Ezra Freck, follow this carefully, is a young man who's taken up his cross. He's accepted, this is, this is what I am. And he's running with it, but here's the problem. And I don't mean this as a condemnation of him. From everything I've read about him and researched about this young man, he's taken up his cross. I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to embrace this life. I'm, I'm going to live a full life. But he's not following Christ. There's no evidence from anything that I found that he knows Christ is his Savior that he's living for Christ at all. I find a lot of amputee athletes that are doing some incredible things like that, but they are not following Christ. This is more than just, okay, uh, I've got a disability, so I'm gonna work hard, I'm gonna learn to run, I'm gonna learn to power lift. That's not enough. Let's take up his cross, Jesus said, and follow me. Follow me. At some point in my life, and this daily thing comes into play. All of it gets very old. All of it sometimes gets overwhelming and, and there are often many, many days I have to pick this back up and say, but this is what God chose for me. And I'm gonna willingly be of the mind of Christ and take up my cross and I'm gonna try to do my best to follow after Christ and fulfill his purpose in this. How many understand what I'm saying? You have a cross. If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross, her cross. Are, you, are we willing to do that? The world population has just surpassed eight billion people, 8 billion people. Jesus said, and I, if I be lifted up, if I take up my cross, I will draw all men unto me. 
You understand that our cross and our following after Christ is to do the same thing, to draw people to the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross. But I wonder how many crosses are just sitting here because that's well, my life. That's not what I want. I've got my plans. Nobody else is doing that. Why should I have to go through that? And all the other things that we say, and so the cross is just sitting there. It's not lifted up. It's not following Christ. And as a result of that, people that should hear about the Savior won't. What portion of that eight billion are you responsible for? What portion of that eight billion am I responsible for that will not be reached because, well, I don't like that cross. Someday we're gonna stand before the Lord. The judgment seat of Christ is not meant to be a bad day. It's meant to be a good day. It really is, Paul said, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, so give me it that day. Paul was looking forward to it. Back in March, I did a powerlifting competition, and at the end of the whole event, um, they, they were tallying up a whole bunch of things, and then they were going to hand out the awards and, and so forth. And they had all the, the, the competitors. I don't, I don't know how many of us there were, 40, 50, 60, something like that. We're all standing up in the, the staging area, and all the spectators are sitting out there, and they're going through each weight class and age group and so forth and, and, and calling out the names, this person in third place, this person in second, this place in first, and, and so forth. And the truth of the matter, I was excited about that particular moment because I was the only one in my division. I could have lifted five pounds and I'd have won. I was the only one in my division and I knew, but I, I did a lot more than that. I worked hard and I did, I did my very best. And I'm gonna tell you, it was a fun moment when they said 75 kilogram adaptive athlete, Thomas Bish, come forward. And I got to walk out and some lady put a gold medal, not really gold, it's just a little piece of metal spray painted gold, but that doesn't matter. I got a gold medal and you don't, so there. That was a good day. That was a happy moment. That's what the judgment seat of Christ is supposed to be. But that judgment seat of Christ is only that way when we've taken up our cross and followed him. Is your cross still sitting here waiting on you? Or did you used to carry it, but you got tired? You used to carry it, but then somebody made fun of you for having your cross. So you put it down. It's time that we take up our crosses and follow Christ and draw all men to him. Can we bow for prayer? Father in heaven.